Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. No Gavin today, but I am joined by a very special guest. I have John Schmilk of the Bank Shot Podcast, and we're doing a little home and home action here. This game recap here, and then I'm going to be on the Bank Shot today as well. So once you get done listening to this episode of Locked On Knicks, definitely check out the Bank Shot. But for now, we're talking about the Knicks loss 111 to 98 against the Pacers on the road. It was not pretty. We got lots to talk about. Maybe at least one positive will be that R.J. Barrett still looks really awesome. So we're going to get into that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. All right, welcome into Locked On Knicks. This episode is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving community since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, and I am writing for Clutch Points about the Knicks this year. I am, in fact, not loving what the Knicks have been doing right now. And I am joined by John Schmilk, who hosts the Bank Shot podcast on WFAN. And as I mentioned, we'll be doing sort of a home and home here. So I'll be on John's pod later today as well, or actually maybe in your feeds right now, if you're listening to this on Thursday. John, how are you doing? And how are you feeling after this uh, latest debacle by the Knicks here? I'm good, man. But you know what? I'm going to fight back. I'm not going to call this a debacle. I okay. feel like Nick fans have gotten so high on themselves after the hot start of the year that we've kind of lost sight as to what this team is and where we are. Like we assume that after five games or six games, they were going to be a 58 win team and just roll over teams that they're more talented than. I just don't think that's where they are, where, where the Knicks are and what they're going to do consistently. And look, you're going to have games where you get to the end of it. The Knicks shoot five of 24 from three. The opponent shoots 16 of 41. And guess what? Those games are going to be nearly impossible to win. And I'm not sure the game is that much more complicated than that, to be quite honest with you. So I guess my only pushback on that, right, would be, I get where you're coming from. Like, cold nights happen. Oftentimes, they coincide with hot nights for the other team. And then you just kind of end up where the Knicks were tonight, which is just getting getting spanked uh, from basically the the opening to the closing whistle, despite the fact that they got it within, I think the closest they got was three points at any given point in this game uh, outside of, you know, the first minute or so, obviously. But, you know, I think it's, I think for me, it, it kind of has to do somewhat with just the fact that this team, their identity last year was, you know, they didn't have the most top end talent and Julius Randle did everything that he was supposed to do, you know, everything that he was supposed to do and more. And, you know, really led this team to that improbable four seed finish. But the the calling card of the team was basically like, we're going to be like 
like just completely on top of you all game, you know, just unrelenting, you know, we're going to play fantastic defense and you know what? We don't have that talented of an offense, but a lot of nights we're going to score just enough points to, you know, beat you and we're going to hold you under hundred points or whatever. We're going to harass you on defense at all times. And that's how it's going to be this year. It just doesn't feel like that. I think that's my biggest issue is that we we've seen the tantalizing talent that this team has now where it looks like, I mean, Kemba and Fournier definitely can still shoot the ball, which was the biggest things that they were brought in here for RJ Barrett. looks like he's taking a leap. Julius Randall at his best still looks like Julius Randall of last year. So you've increased the talent and you have Mitchell Robinson back who at his best has been a huge rim to turn again, but you know, you have this, this new talent on the team, but you're sort of, it looks like now you've lost that wire to wire effort that was always there last year. And that's been the biggest thing with these last, these last couple games. And then also that Orlando game and even some of the wins where they, you know, they kind of got out to these big leads early with some hot shooting and then just kind of, you know, deflated from about the second quarter all the way through the end of the game, but still managed to pull out some wins. You know, it just kind of makes me think like, what's what's going on with this team that like did is it not just Knicks fans that got too you know too high and mighty uh after a hot start like did the Knicks themselves start to think maybe that they're more than they are at a certain point because I still think regardless of the talent in infusion if they want to do anything like you know their ceiling which would probably be like a 50 52 whatever win season or something like that then I think they're gonna have to really buckle down and realize like we have to still keep giving the same amount of effort we were giving all of last year. But I don't know. What do you, what do you say to that in rebuttal to that? No, I think that's fair. And I think if there's anything you want to be concerned about this year, it has to be the defense so far uh, though, just in terms of this game tonight, the Knicks last year were more than happy to give up threes to miles Turner. He just didn't hit them in their games against the Pacers. And he just happened to hit seven of 10 tonight. If he shoots four of 10 instead of seven of 10, and the Pacers score 102 instead of 111, you're probably sitting here saying, you know, that's actually a pretty good defensive effort. You have 102 points. That's not bad, right? So I think it's a pretty small sample size still. I do think, you know, with Walker and Fournier in the starting lineup, you have guys that are probably more concerned with offense than they are defense, and I think that's probably part of this, to be quite honest with you. I don't think Julius Randle has been, you know, quite as good defensively. And, and I wonder how much is them trying to feel themselves out on the offensive side has, you know, I'm not going to say taken focus away from the defense, but, you know, sometimes guys don't lock in as much on defense, which is more of an effort thing when they're still trying to figure things out on the other side. And I do think uh, Randall specifically is still really trying to figure out what his role is with all the new offensive talent on the team. Um, and, and maybe that's affecting him on defense a little bit. I'm not sure. I think, you know, I saw some people tweet after the game, oh, teams are starting to figure out the fact that the Knicks are trying to shoot a lot of threes and they're adjusting. I mean, what's the adjustment? I mean, to me, I don't I don't buy that necessarily. I mean, if teams are going to overplay threes, then you got to drive the ball. I mean, it, you know, the, the NBA is not rocket science that way. So, yes, I agree. I think the defense you worry about, um, I think the rim protection is still pretty good. I just think they probably need to, you know, tighten up a little bit on the perimeter. And I think... That takes time sometimes for, for teams to really lock in on exactly what they're supposed to do. Remember, these training camps now and preseasons aren't very long. So you hope that as the season goes along, the group will be able to lock in a little bit more together um, as the season goes. But yeah, look, I agree. I think the defense is is the source of trouble 
if there is a source of trouble. And I think that is a fair thing to be concerned about. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I, I think it'll be something to keep an eye on. I mean, I guess one thing that is sort of, uh, I guess, forgotten by myself and and probably a lot of other people is the steps that the Knicks had to take last year to become right. the team that they eventually were by the end of the year. You know, they started off as at one point, basically a 500 team, you know, and then they sort of figured things out and their their version of figuring it out was hovering around a game or two above 500 for a little while and then dipping back to it and then getting another game or two ahead. And then they ripped that nine game win streak. And there was that like light bulb moment against the, the Grizzlies uh, in that comeback where then that sends them on that, that rocket ship towards the end of the season. And they end up the four seed when all said and done uh, after initially looking like they were, you know, probably just going to hang around it at a, you know, 500 or so and maybe be like the seven or eight seed and have to play through the playing games and then probably get annihilated by the bucks or something. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I, I mean, maybe that is worth keeping in mind going forward that even last year, this took a while to get together. I, I guess you would just hope that they would be mostly there because of the amount of carryover of players, but They've already had to deal with some some injuries, like at the center spot, which was such a crucial part to the the team last year. Uh, they've they're they are completely trying to play a whole new way on offense, uh, playing more like the more like the Houston Rockets, you know, of the the James Harden era than um, you know than anything like the Knicks have put on in a number of years. So, you know, in that respect, yeah, it's uh, I I think maybe there's just it'll take some time and and we'll eventually get there. But we got some more to talk about. Uh, I do just want to quickly remind everybody this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why would you want to endure all that pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning about your car and about all the details that you don't need? You kind of just need a part to get out of there. And then you got to wait for the person to order the part for you. It doesn't come in that day. And then, you know, you have to go back to the store, you get the final bill, and it's like a ton of money. And you wonder why you didn't just go to the mechanic instead of going to the stupid auto parts store. That's where rockauto.com comes in, though. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership when you could just go to rockauto.com? On top of it, Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and their prices are reliably low for every customer, not just for mechanics. Uh, you're not going to get a different price than anybody else shopping through rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to get something right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. And today's show is also brought to you by betonline.ag. We are back and better than ever. A new web interface to the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, well, not that anymore, but uh, whatever. I don't like the Braves. Anyway, the NHL, boxing, and UFC, <laughs> right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right. Still so, better than Houston. 
Still yeah, than right. Houston it is still is. better than Houston, I guess. So, you know, there's like the lesser of two evils, but two, yeah. two evils nonetheless. Um, <laughs> I'm actually still a little salty that as a Mets fan that Houston cost the Mets their manager, who I loved, uh, when they hired Beltron and then had to immediately fire him because of the stupid Houston thing. Um, so, you know, even Mets fans got some salt for, for Houston in that respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, at any rate, John, I, I think maybe if we want to talk about something happy here, in on a overall sort of unhappy uh, occasion, another Knicks loss. It's that RJ Barrett is still looking really good. Uh, he actually, I mean, I guess had almost what you could call a down game for him in this game compared to some of the games he's put on recently. 23 points, uh, only shot 8 of 20 from the field, which again, you know, is only down by the standards, the lofty standards he set for himself recently. Uh, 2 of 6 from 3 and 5 of 7 from the free throw line. He had five rebounds and three assists to just two turnovers, which that's good as well. It's turnovers for all of his great things he's been doing. The turnovers have occasionally gotten you know up more towards four or five recently. So it's good to see those down a bit too. Uh, how have you, I mean, it, you know, obviously you're guesting on the show today. So, so the people don't get to hear your opinion here about RJ every day. How do you feel about RJ in this game? But more broadly, how have you been feeling about RJ lately with this hot streak he's on? Hey, look, I mean, his, his last three games have been fantastic. And just generally speaking with RJ, I'm, I buy in on the jump shot. I think he's figured that out. I, I think he's going to be a, a very good open three point shooter. I think if he's open, you feel very good about him making it. And I think the difference, the last few games, I think there's a, a couple parts of this one. I think teams have allowed him to get downhill in a straight line with his left hand, with the runway and he's actually been able to get some separation and clearing the defender's shoulders. And that's why I think his percentage at the rim is way up, especially the last three games. It's because he's getting higher quality attempts. You know, he's not jumping into guys' chest, trying to fling the ball over them. He's actually creating some separation. So I think the question that we have to ask ourselves going forward here now, is this a matter of these other teams just not protecting the rim well, and we're going to see this revert? Or has RJ figured something out? You know, because he went through a stretch last year. I don't have it in front of me, but he had one month last year, Alex, where he shot, I think, 60-something percent at the rim. But then every other month he was, like, in the mid-40s or something like that. So, you know, it, it all depends on, I think, how this continues. But I do think the jumper's real. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And if he's figured out a way now to create some higher quality attempts at the rim, because that's always been his problem to me. People say, oh, he doesn't finish well at the rim. It's because he's taking really difficult shots over big guys, jumping into the chest of guys through contact. Those are hard shots to make for any player, not just R.J. Barrett. But I think during this stretch, he's created a higher quality attempts, which is why he's been more efficient. And I want to see more to see if he can sustain this or once teams adjust and they start defending him a little bit more you know, to his left hand, how he's going to adjust to that reaction back to him. Yeah. How do you, um, you know, speaking of the, of the skills that he's added this year, one thing that I've kind of noticed that I don't even know if I've debuted this take on here yet is that I feel like he's using his natural gifts a little more this year, like his natural athleticism, his, his leaping ability and things like that. It's not necessarily coming through and like, he's trying to posterize guys or anything. You know, we see we could see that it's so obvious whenever you see him make one of his transition dunks that like he could do whatever the heck he wants athletically um, as far as leaping ability and stuff like that. And if he wanted to posterize someone, he certainly could. Uh, but I think that he generally is stuck to a strategy of 
being a little more groundbound, uh, mostly for health purposes to keep his endurance up and stuff like that. And that's why we're able to see him play such high minutes and usually thrive more as the game goes on uh, because of his great conditioning. But I've kind of noticed this year, I feel like his his burst is kicking in a little more like he's able to get around guys better. He's getting up just a little more on those those finishes on the inside. So he generates just that that smallest bit more of elevation, which gives him that little more vertical separation, which allows him to finish these looks that previously he would stay a little more groundbound and sort of he would still like kind of use his shoulder or, or use his strength to clear a little bit of space. But then because he wasn't going up super high with it, guys were able to recover a little better to him and, uh, you know, meet him at the focal point of, of where he was trying to take the shot. Now I feel like he's elevating more. He's trying to get it more, put a little bit more arc on his shots sometimes if it's like a situation where he's trying to get to the rim and has his defender trailing him on the inside or is even trying to just in situations where he has a defender beat trying to get up higher basically place the ball right on the box and and get it right in for a layup and I think that's really helping his his finishing around there but what have you seen like as far as the causes of the the finishing getting better you think yeah, yeah. For me, his his athleticism has always popped in transition, and that's always been his strength as a finisher, right? If you give him a runway where he can build up speed, get a running start, go full speed, he's always been able to elevate, dunk, and do a lot of things. But whereas athleticism to me never really burst is in that short in those short areas in the half court, right? When guys come off those high screens or pick and rolls, and they're right up in his shirt, he has trouble getting started sometimes because I don't think he is, you know he doesn't have the best start and stop in, in my opinion, in terms of creating separation in those short areas, especially in the half court uh, traditionally. But I think this year he's done a better job of it, which is why I think he's getting those higher quality attempts and able to get some of that separation. Now I think it's helped him a lot that the lat teams, the last few games I think have played a lot more off of him. I mean, we see him come around these screens and he's got a clear runway, runway to the basket. In a lot of these plays. And I think that plays into kind of his his build-up speed. You know, I, I cover the Giants, and you talk about different receivers, right? Like a guy like DK Metcalf, right? He has great athletic gifts, but it takes him a little while to build up his speed and to get going. And once he does, he is a physical presence that's really difficult to stop. That's the type of kind of category I put Barrett in in terms of the type of athlete that he is. Then you have a different type of athlete in the NFL. Um, for Giant fans, let's say Kadarius Tony where he's in these short areas and he can start and stop and he goes from zero to full speed in the blink of an eye. And I think Barrett has developed a little bit more of that this year in the half court, which is why he is getting, I think, some of those better looks at the rim. Yeah, the first step has definitely been really lethal by comparison to how it was before. I think that RJ used to, you know, I think the reason that they used to run those like pistol sets for him early in games, not to say they're not still running those with Mitch some, but mm -hmm. I think the reason that they, that that became like a big habit last year was because that was the best way to get him some separation and get him going downhill towards the rim. We're seeing this year now that he's clearly worked on, you know, tightening his dribble up and working on his first step and his burst to be able to just kind of explode right past his defender and not even need those screens or those actions to get him freed up right away. And uh, it's clearly paying dividends so far because he's been having, I mean, this has been as good of a three-game stretch as we've ever seen from him. And if it's kind of portending things to come, then I think the Knicks are, are and 
Knicks fans obviously are in for a huge treat as far as uh, how good he could potentially be. But yeah, by uh, the way, gonna... just, just now, I'll, I'll jump on you for one second, just real quick, yeah. so fans have this. It through seven games. This is including the Raptors game. Seventy-eight percent at the rim in the eighty-first percentile, which for a non-big, that's a huge number. Huge. Number. Oh yeah, I mean that's literally what Mitchell Robinson does. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's insane. You know, typically you want to be in the sixty to sixty-five percent range, and that's considered good. So if you're shooting seventy-eight percent, I mean, obviously, I don't think that's going to hold up necessarily. But if he settles in somewhere around sixty-five percent. I mean, that's well above average at that point. Uh, and and I think we're in really good shape. And and with how good he shoots the three, I wouldn't be surprised if if he can hold out at around 60 to 65% at the rim. He'll probably end up shooting like 55% and have like, I don't know, 60 true shooting for the year or something like that. It'll it'll be good. It'll be a good And then last year, by the way, just so fans understand, he was 50%. He was 55% at the rim, which is the 23rd percentile. So mm-hmm. that's a huge jump from last year to this year. Yes, it is. Uh, all right. I'm going to just take our, our second break real quick so we can come back and talk about some more stuff from this game and a little more big picture stuff, too. But this episode of Locked on Knicks is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team can come to recharge. It's the place you always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. I know I'll often drive out to go see my dad uh, in Missouri over Thanksgiving. That's coming up soon. And if I go and do that this year, one of my favorite things is if I stay overnight and then get out, go in the next morning, stop McDonald's, get a sausage muffin. It is tier one breakfast food forever so you know definitely get some mcmuffins it's the best thing at mcdonald's in this guy's humble opinion so head to your local mcdonald's to refuel and reconnect did somebody say locked on nick's watch party i i don't know who's saying it i'm not saying it but someone might be saying it at any rate i'm loving it all right and we're back to to finish up our discussion about the nick's loss here 111 to 98 to the Pacers. And You're making me hungry, man. You're making me hungry. <laughs> yeah, the, the McDonald's ad. I always find myself, you know, we're usually recording this at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. And I find myself thinking like, uh, should I get up tomorrow and and go to <laughs> go get a, a McMuffin in the morning? I don't know. Maybe maybe one of these days. I've been holding off. It's not good for my waistline. No. Just because I don't exercise as much during the next season. Um, <laughs> at any rate. John, I, I want to talk a little bit about Julius Randle because uh, I, I want to know your thoughts on him. We've we've been talking about him kind of ad nauseum, so it'll be good to get a little bit of a an outside perspective on Randle right now. How do you feel about him overall lately? I mean, I, I think in this game in particular, it was we sort of saw the like both sides of his like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde equation from this season, where there's been times where he looks mega engaged and like he's playing with a chip on his shoulder but in like a good way and like he's you know making winning plays on both ends of the ball like the stuff we saw last year then there are other times where you know and this popped up in this game as well where he'll like you know he seems to get frustrated and you know there was one possession that stood out to me where i was just like this is this is peak like 2019 to 20 julius randall and that's not a compliment which was there was one point where DeMontis Sabonis and he were matched up 
and Randall got the ball, kind of tried to like back Sabonis down a little bit or something, and and Sabonis was like bothering him some and, and got him to pick up his dribble, and Randall thought he got fouled, so then he he passed the ball out to whoever, and then immediately calls for a back after like on his way out, kind of like doing one of these where if Sabonis had been standing there and gotten whacked across the face, I mean Randall was literally asking to get like a flagrant foul, but you know took his arm, kind of did one of these and. Uh, which if you're on YouTube, you can see that. Um, and, you know, then got the ball back and then just proceeded to do the same exact thing over again all the way up until the shot clock was basically expired. And then Hucks up an attempt that didn't go in. You know, I think he wound up taking a contested layup and got contested by both Sabonis and Miles Turner. And it just was not great. And so, I don't know, This it's it's been... I, I know there's only so many games. We, we just had... Uh, Benji on who I think has also been on your show and, and, and is great. And he kind of said, you know, be patient with Randall. Like, you know, it's only been a few games. He's earned enough goodwill to have a little bit of growing pains this year. When, like we were talking about earlier in the show, there's so much new happening for the, for the Knicks right now, as far as, you know, probably the biggest guy affected is Julius Randall, as far as how his role is being affected this year. And, you know, so maybe it's just some of that, but it's, you know, we're now, you could also say eight games into the season is effectively almost a 10th into the season. And, you know, it's, it seems to be getting worse, not better by and large, but where do you stand with Randall right now? And, and overall what we've seen from him this year. All right. This is going to seem like a bit of an oxymoron, but, but, but see if you can follow me on this. Okay. Last year, the Knicks were asking Julius Randall to do a lot more. So it was harder for him because he was being asked to do more. But I almost feel like it, in reality, it's harder for him this year because he doesn't have to do as much. And he's trying to figure out how he should attack, how often he should attack and what he should do within the flow of the offense. So. Last year, he knew that he would have to score. So if you have a few bad shots here and there, if you're a Nick fan, you live with it because you know that nobody else is probably going to get a, a better look than that, than Randall. This year, with Fournier, with Kemba Walker, with Derrick Rose here the whole year, with R.J. Barrett playing better, other guys can can you know get shots and maybe get shots better than that 15, 16-foot Randall fadeaway. So there, you know, his three-point attempts per game are actually a little bit up. 5.7 heading into this game against the Pacers as opposed to 5.5. So he's still shooting a three. I thought he passed up on a couple in this game, which which you don't like. I do think he's made a concerted effort to get all the way to the rim a little bit more. I would wish he finished those a little bit better. But I still think sometimes he just gets it in his head that, all right, I get the ball here and I'm going to get a shot off. And I think he still feels like in his head that the team needs him to do that and that's still his role. When, you know, maybe you can just get your shots in the flow of the offense now. You know, be the screen man and a pick and pop guy in a screen and roll. Be a roll man. Grab an offensive rebound. Get your points in transition where he doesn't necessarily have to create as much in the half court because there's so much more around him. You know, be more willing to pass out of something quick because you get the ball back. You know, things like that. So I think he's having a hard time transitioning from a year where he had to do everything to a year where they still need him to do a lot, but he doesn't need to take as many difficult shots to get there. And, and I do think that's a bit of a transition. And I do think we have to be patient with him and let him figure this out along the way, because 
the three point shot still falling. It was you know thirty eight percent heading you know uh, heading into this game. He stole over six assists per game. So the tools are there. He's just not being as efficient with it. And I think it, you hope it's just that eight game stretch, like you mentioned, and that's something he can figure out along the way in terms of how he fits into this larger system. Yeah, and speaking of guys that are still figuring it out, you know, I I agree with much of what you said. By the way, I mean, I do think that. I think there is this adjustment for Randall that ironically it's, yeah, it's, it's harder for him to figure out how to be less involved and to still yeah, no, do it things. Is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the main thing that I wish would come out of this would be that he would get, he would sort of just siphon off some of that energy that he used to have to expend on offense last year and spend it on defense. Yeah. Which is, I think the biggest area where he's regressed this year, more so than the offense. I can live with him taking some, some mid rangers and whatever, and and that sort of thing and calling his own number to try to get in a rhythm. That's fine. Cause he's, that's what he's paid to do for this team. But the big thing is that he's, he's looked very lost on defense at, at times. And one guy that surprisingly looked lost to me in this game on defense to some degree was Mitchell Robinson. And that's not something that I've said very much this year. Um, I think he definitely still had his, his effect of rim deterrence at times in this game where guys would come into the lane and Mitch would be so, uh, you know, intimidating around there that he would just kind of scare them away. He also notched three blocks, but, uh, you know, I think it's partly game plan. I mean, the scouting report probably says just leave Turner open, and I'm sure that that was their plan. And then, of course, he ends up hitting 7 to 10. But I, I did kind of find myself thinking – not even just on the Turner stuff. And this has been kind of something that's, that's been kicking around in my brain for the last couple games that Mitch has been not reading switches quite as well lately. He's been hanging back a lot more and not doing what he used to do, which was essentially like he used to, the thing that made him so scary before was that if he was in a pick and roll situation, for example, he would get out on the shooter, but not fully. He would kind of take like a half step towards them, would flash the arm up, and that shooter would go, oh, crap, this isn't for me today because, you know, I, I know that he can block a three-pointer if he if I go to shoot one right now. And then they would either try to pass to someone else, you know, further away from the play, or try to work it inside where Mitch was still close enough that he could easily recover. You know, it was just, there's a different dynamic to how he was playing defense. And right now, maybe it's still just him getting his legs back. Or maybe this is like the one side effect that we're seeing of the added bulk that he has is that, you know, now he can be more intimidating on the inside, but he can't shade as much towards the outside with a little bit of loss of quickness here. But something just feels different. I mean, how would you, how did you feel about Mitch in this game in particular? And then, like, how would you diagnose how he's been so far this year? I agree with all the symptoms. I think it's the added bulk. I think it's the legs. I, he looks noticeably less athletic to me, generally speaking. Even his block shots, he's not getting as high. He's not as mobile. But I think in the long run, that's a good thing because I do think he's better around the rim. He's a better rebounder, um, all those things. And I think, frankly, taking some of the athleticism out of him actually maybe reduces the number of fouls he's going to commit to because he's less all over the place and he's more in control. But I, I think not contesting as much on the three – has something to do with that. And I think a lot of that is legs getting out there and he's still working his way back. I think a lot of that's the scheme too, to be honest with you. Look, Thibodeau runs a lot of that drop coverage. And we even saw it last year, one big bugaboo of the Knicks defense last year when they faced bigs that could hit threes. They got a lot of open looks. 
And when you're going to task your big man, first and foremost and second most and third most, go protect the rim, the result's going to be that big guy's getting some open threes. And I just think that's going to be a result of the way the Knicks play defense in a lot of ways. And when Miles Turner shoots that well, you're probably going to lose. And I think the Knicks will like their chances of him not being able to repeat that performance. And you don't have that many centers at that size anymore that can, you know, stretch the floor and, and hit those threes. And if you do, then you have to make an adjustment. I think that's one thing if you want to get on Tibbs a little bit in this game. Why didn't he get Robinson onto um, Sabonis a little bit earlier and then get Randall on Turner so he can get out on those threes a little bit? I think that's something that they could have adjusted to a little bit earlier in this game. But, yeah, I think otherwise I, th I think everything you said about Mitch has been, you know, dead on pretty much. Well, uh, John, I think I think this is a good time to sound the final buzzer for sure. this episode of Locked On Knicks, uh, because as mentioned at the beginning of the show, we are now going to uh, move over to the bank shot and keep talking about some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, it just in general, have some more big picture, small picture, whatever discussions about the Knicks. But before we leave Locked On Knicks and move again over to the bank shot, uh, which you can find on all your podcast providers, just like Locked On Knicks. Uh, do you want to take a moment to just let everybody know where to find you online and all your work and uh, feel free to plug your Giants work too, considering I'm sure there's plenty of crossover there. No, I appreciate that. Uh, on Twitter at Schmelk, uh, obviously the bank shot, it's WFN.com. You can find it on most popular podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, if you're on Android, that sort of stuff. And then uh, if you're a Giants fan out there, I know it hasn't been the best year, but there's still a lot of games left to play. Uh, we have our Giants podcast network, which you can find on the Giants app, giants.com slash podcast. And of course, all your favorite podcast platforms are two flagship ones are the Giants huddle podcast, which we have a bunch of interviews, long form interviews, uh, analysts around the league, former Giants players. We do a lot of historical stuff on there. It's fun. And then we have big blue kickoff live, which much like lockdown Knicks is daily Monday through Friday, 1230 to 130. We take calls live and then the archive goes up on the uh, Big Blue Kickoff Live podcast feed on all those other platforms as well. So if you're a Giant fan, go check it out. It's all year round. Once we get through the season, we'll do a lot of draft stuff, which I'm really proud of our work with that. We do a good job. A lot of players to talk about. And, of course, still a lot of Giants football to be played. So I appreciate you letting me do that, Alex. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, of course. And, hey, I'm sure some people on here aren't listening to it already. They would love to have another daily Giants discussion to get into. So certainly – I keep telling myself the same thing you said as a Jets fan. There's plenty more games to go. Things can look better. <laughs> the Jets just found their quarterback of the future this past weekend. So, you know, Boy. things are great. Mike White, who would have thought it? <laughs> Mike White, quarterback of the future. Just send Zach Wilson off to Siberia. Who cares? We got our guy now. Uh, anyway, thanks so much, everybody, for listening to Locked on Knicks. Uh, I didn't plug it enough in this episode, but if you're not already, uh, please check out the YouTube. If you haven't already, subscribe there. If, if you wouldn't mind, leave a couple thumbs up on some of our videos. We had some extremely toxic Raptors fans in on our last one. So we only got about 50-50 on likes on our Raptors video. Toxic so, you know, and Raptor fans, huh? Jeez. Apparently, it's the saltiest fan base in the NBA. I never knew. But apparently, they just roll in waves over locked on. <laughs> videos that cover the Raptors in games where opposing teams face them and just leave me comments. Are nice. What the hell's going on with that, man? I don't know. I don't know. I thought the Canadians had a rep too as being super <laughs> nice. And now here we are. I, I've been exposed to a new side of Canada. Uh, at any rate. Yeah. If, if anybody listening, if you're listening on audio, if you want to go check out the video, you can see our uh, nice smiling faces on YouTube. And uh, yeah, that's it for today. We'll be back. We have at least one more game recap for you guys before the end of the week. 
and maybe one other pod on Friday too. Although I think we're going to be pushing something like seven or eight pods at that point for this week. So, you know, Ooh. maybe we'll take a break for Friday and then just come back to you on Saturday. TBD. We'll see what happens. But at any rate, thanks for listening to Locked on Knicks. We will talk to you all soon. Peace out. <laughs>